Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm Jim Dubois. The coronavirus crisis is having an immediate and dramatic impact on the economy. Job losses are mounting, and the stock market has declined sharply during the past few weeks. This week, we discuss the challenges facing the U.S. and global economies with the University of Minnesota faculty expert. We apologize for the poor quality of the phone line. Timothy Kehoe is the distinguished McKnight University professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. The opinions and perspectives that Professor Kehoe will share with us do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. Professor Kehoe, welcome back to Dialogue Minnesota. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm uh, happy or relatively happy to be able to talk with you uh, today, although it's a worrying time for the world and for us in the state of Minnesota. Indeed it is. Well, the coronavirus crisis has taken a devastating toll on the U.S. and world economy. Many businesses have closed and millions of jobs have been lost, at least temporarily. The U.S. stock market is down nearly a third from its peak in February of this year. The unemployment rate is skyrocketing. We've experienced severe economic downturns in the past, of course. But in what ways is our current situation unique? Well, one of the ways it's uh, unique is if we think about what the government reaction was with the worldwide economic crisis between 2008 and 2013. I know it was officially over here in the United States uh, in 2009, but throughout the world it was really a 2008-2013 crisis. And what governments did to try to get out of the crisis was to try to stimulate the economy. And right now, uh, we're not at a stage where we want to stimulate uh, economic activity. And in fact, as we talked about the coronavirus and the, the pandemic that's going on, we realize that now is the time that we have to actually discourage a lot of economic activity. But the hope is, is once we have this uh, coronavirus under control, that we've preserved enough of the structure of the economy that we can get growing again. Our most recent severe economic downturn was the so-called Great Recession of 2008-2009. Is what we are seeing now worse than what we experienced back then? Well, uh, it is in some ways. The unemployment rate is going to, I think, ultimately dwarf that uh, during this global uh, recession that we had uh, about 12 years ago. But uh, the root cause of that recession were forcing our financial system. And I would think that right now there's a lot of things that are, are going better than that. The problem right now is the pandemic itself and the lack of preparedness that we had in the United States to cope with it. And so the hope is that we can preserve the economy enough so that we bounce right back. We've had problems where we've seen it around the world, more so than in the United States. The United States is such a big country. But when you see a small country affected by uh, a natural disaster, like the tsunami in Japan, once they're able to get past that point, there's often very rapid growth. And, you know, the big problem we have with the global recession is how anemic uh, the recovery was. So I'm hoping that there's, although Things are going to be bad. I'm hoping that there can be ways 
ways that we can do better coming out of the crisis than we did 10 years ago. Which businesses and sectors of the economy are experiencing the greatest impact from the current crisis? Well, you know, Jim, I think another way you could have put your question is what uh, sectors of the economy are not going to be very badly hurt. And there are some. I noticed that I'm uh, teaching now, meeting with my colleagues, uh, using a computer application called Zoom, and it's very good for teaching. And in fact, uh, Zoom as a company is doing well. People all over the world are, are using it. And uh, being forced into doing this, I bet it's going to revolutionize teaching. And even after the pandemic is over, we're going to be able to do more things electronically uh, rather than face-to-face meetings, which often involve time and travel and expense and so forth. So there are some areas that are doing well, and and, uh, we can talk more about that because we have to stimulate those areas. But in general, the economy as a whole is doing badly. And if we think that short of a miracle of having uh, effective vaccines or medication for the coronavirus, there's some hopeful signs, but uh, short of a miracle of having those things up and running uh, on a massive scale in less than a year or 18 months, which are the kind of things our medical experts are talking about, we are going to have to, even as we get the economy running again, we're going to have to discourage people who haven't been tested, monitored, and so forth. We're going to have to discourage those people from getting together in big groups. So hospitality industry, airlines, professional sports or college sports that rely on big collective audiences, it's hard to see that kind of thing doing well even over the next year, even as uh, other parts of the economy are, uh, are recovering. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe, the distinguished McKnight professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. The opinions and perspectives that Professor Kehoe is sharing with us do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank or the Federal Reserve System. Some are saying that this is the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression of the 1930s. I believe the numbers that I'm about to cite are generally correct, but uh, please feel free to correct me, Professor Kehoe. From what I've read, the U.S. stock market lost approximately 90% of its value, and the U.S. unemployment rate hit approximately 25% at the peak of the Depression. We're clearly nowhere close to those numbers at this point, but the loss of jobs and the value of stocks is significant. Does comparing the metrics of the stock market and the job market during the Great Depression with our current situation serve any useful purpose to predict where the economy might be headed? No, I don't think it does. The Great Depression of the 1930s, like the global recession, or some people call it the Great Recession of uh, 10, 12 years ago, was self-inflicted. And uh, this recession, although, you know, we, we've talked about this before. There's ways in which the U.S. economy had not been uh, doing that well. But in general, the U.S. economy, before this global pandemic, had been doing not that well, but better than any other economy in the world, any other large economy in the world. 
So this is a different kind of situation. And I think what we'd find, and, and as you know, I've uh, done a lot of work studying the episodes like the Great Depression, both in the United States and uh, in uh, the rest of the world. And we are going to see that the economic downturn, uh, the rate at which unemployment increases and so forth, is going to be as bad or worse now than it was in uh, 1929 and uh, through 1933, the real downturn portion of the U.S. Great Depression. So we're going to see a really sharp increase in negative indicators. We've already started to see that, but I think unemployment is in many ways going to be higher than that 25%. Now, there's going to be something that's going to be funny about that because the people are not necessarily going to be called unemployed because the um, package that Congress uh, and the administration have managed to put together, a lot of those people are going to still be coined as uh, or going to be being paid called unemployed. They're not going to file for unemployment insurance, but they're not going to be working, or they're going to be working very little. So when we look at drops in GDP, certainly through the summer, I expect to see sharp GDP than, say, we saw in the first uh, four or five months of the uh, Great Depression, 1929 through 1933. The Depression itself was still going on until we got to World War II. But we were in kind of the beginning of a recovery. The real downturn uh, was from those, uh, with those uh, four years from uh, 1929, and it was even less than four years between 1929 and 1933. Uh, what has the Federal Reserve done thus far to protect the U.S. economy during this crisis? Okay, and once again, although I'm an advisor to the uh, Federal Reserve Bank, and I'm uh, working on a project for the conference there to think about the macroeconomics of, uh, of this pandemic, nothing that I say is meant to uh, uh, represent the views or policies of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis or the system. However, one thing that, uh, that I had no involvement in all the decision-making on this, but one that we've seen the Fed do is really open up uh, lines of credit and being the buyer to uh, not just banks, that's the traditional role, during the uh, so-called Great uh, Recession, especially in uh, 2008, the Fed also started making loans or buying assets from nine bank financial institutions. And now the uh, Fed has just opened that up even more, and the Fed is going to be making loans to or buying uh, troubled assets from U.S. businesses, large and small, outside the financial system. So the Fed wants to keep things going. But let me stress again, until we come up with a way, and I really think our medical researchers are on top of this, I think they could use uh, some more support from the federal government on this, but uh, I think our, our medical researchers within a year, 18 months, are going to be able to help conquer the uh, coronavirus. But until then, even as we get economic activity in some sectors going again, we still want large groups of people who haven't been tested, 
where they haven't traced contacts the way they have in countries that have really uh, been able to slow this thing down, we're not going to want those groups of people getting together. So there's going to be sectors of the economy hurting for a year or, or up to 18 months. Much attention has been paid to the steep decline and gyrations of the stock market over the past few weeks. It's been pointed out, of course, that the stock market is not the economy. But how do the market losses and investor uncertainty potentially impact the economy in general? Quite frankly, Jim, it doesn't. So let's talk about this for a moment. You know, I'm not retired, and I don't expect to retire for until nine or ten years from now. But I have quite a bit of uh, my uh, retirement savings, uh, most of which I got while working at the University of North Minnesota, are invested in uh, funds and with lots of it in the stock market. Now, those retirement funds have suffered big losses. Now would be a very bad time for me to try to cash in the stocks that lie uh, in back of those, those funds because they're at a low point. If we look back at what happened to the stock market 10, 12 years ago in the uh, recession, or even back to the uh, 1929, 1939 Great Recession, we'll see that after a a fast drop at the beginning, they tend to come back, the stock market. So I'm not even particularly worried. That's where my life savings are mostly in equities. I think before I've, I, I've retired, there'll be plenty of time for that to recover. And now would be the worst possible time for me as an investor at a distance. I uh, have these funds through a management company like Vanguard. So the impact on uh, people like me who use the stock market for savings, this decline in the stock market is not bad. The uh, uh, firms it might sometimes rely on reissuing new stock issues and so forth. Well, I think they're going to be able to get credit and funds for investment once that's the right thing to do. In other ways, what happens, Jim, is we're all nervous about what's happening in the U.S. economy and the nation with this pandemic. And that's one of the indicators we can look at every day. And the S&P 500 is probably even a better indicator than the, than the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's just that Dow Jones Industrial Average we have going back through the 1920s. And so people just look at it. I look at it to see what uh, investor confidence looks like. And it's low now. And people are nervous. And so it's a good indicator of that. But in and of itself, I don't think the stock market really has much effect on the U.S. economy. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe, the distinguished McKnight professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. The opinions and perspectives that Professor Kehoe is sharing with us do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank or the Federal Reserve System. The national debt is in an historically high level of around $23 trillion. The stimulus package coming from Congress is designed to provide assistance to businesses and individuals impacted by the coronavirus crisis and to hopefully stave off a devastating economic contraction. 
The cost of this relief will, of course, push that national debt level even higher. But is this a situation where adding to the deficit is a prudent step to take? Yes, I think it is. I think right now that we are going to be in a period where the economy as a whole is going to be uh, depressed until uh, midsummer. And I, I hope that we'll begin to have something of an economic uh, recovery, but from low levels. And things are really, as I've mentioned, not going to even begin to head back to normal unless we have some miracle in uh, uh, vaccination or, or, or medication. Uh, we're really not going to be getting back to normal until uh, a year, 18 months from now. So we have to keep businesses, jobs, and so forth from just disappearing uh, and, uh, and going through very inefficient bankruptcy procedures that will put our economy behind. We have to somehow have the economy go into a medically-induced coma. Uh, and it seems the only way we can do that is, uh, or at least the way that's politically viable, is, uh, is the one that... Uh, the Congress and administration came up with and announced today. Much of the relief coming in the stimulus bill is directed at major industries such as the airlines and hotel chains. What can be done to help out Main Street small businesses? Well, uh, fortunately, from my point of view, the bill that uh, came out, and this was a great matter of uh, contention, but it seems that the Democrats in the Senate ended up uh, prevailing on this, was to make sure that there is going to be significant help to uh, small businesses and employers. Hotels and airlines are not going to be up and running like they were just last month for a year or 18 months. Uh, We have to think of something to do with them if we want a a vibrant airline and uh, hotel industry. But they're in a little bit of a different category than the firms that are going to have to scale back their operations now, maybe shut down most of the operations, and then start up again in a kind of guarded way in a few months and just minimize uh, person-to-person contact or make sure that the people involved in those contacts are immune because they've already been exposed to the coronavirus or Uh, being protected by protected equipment, or hopefully vaccinated. The deadline for filing and paying federal taxes has been extended to July 15th. Minnesota and other states have also extended their deadline to that date. What impact could the delayed payment of income taxes have on the federal and state governments? Well, it will. It's going to, this is something we've just discussed, Governments are going to have to borrow more. The state governments are going to need to borrow more, but that's going to be helped by the injection of liquidity into the financial system by the Fed and the federal government. Uh, And then the U.S. uh, government debt is going to increase, and it's going to increase substantially. I would have wished that uh, the recovery period that the United States has had since the so-called Great Recession uh, had seen um, significant drops in the deficit, maybe even surpluses of the sort that we had throughout the 1990s, and, uh, and so that we could 
choice to do. But instead, you know, we, we already were at historically high levels of uh, deficits and very high levels of U.S. government debt. And now we're going to have to uh, take on more. Experience has shown that that's not a really big problem for the U.S. economy. I'm worried about love our friends in, in Europe. We noticed the two countries that are hardest hit in Europe are Italy and Spain, and those are two of the five countries that went through what we call debt crisis back during the, uh, the global um, crisis 2008-2013. Uh, and they're trying to do the same sorts of things that we are, just talking to a friend of mine in Spain, and uh, for workers and firms that are very badly affected, the government's stepping in and uh, paying up to 70% of the wages of workers to keep the firms from uh, firing them or letting them go, and then the firm has to uh, keep up the other 30%. The same kind of deal that's included in the stimulus package. Well, it's not clear to me if uh, Spain, for example, has the same ability to borrow that the United States does. So I'm nervous about the world economy in general, but I, I think the U.S., uh, if we do want to have a sharp recovery, and like I'm saying, I'm really seeing uh, four or five months before it even starts and a year or 18 months before it's fully underway, we need to keep firms and jobs from just closing down, and then it's going to be more difficult to get them going again. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe, the distinguished McKnight professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. The opinions and perspectives that Professor Kehoe is sharing with us do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank or the Federal Reserve System. One significant impact of the coronavirus crisis is on the supply chain. How can disruptions in the supply chain not only affect manufacturers and consumers, but also damage the overall economy? Well, Jim, that is a great question. You know that uh, right now, major supplier of uh, pharmaceuticals uh, to the United States is China. And those imports of uh, pharmaceuticals, medical equipment, and of course we're a big exporter and manufacturer of those, but we do buy a lot as well from China, and they're subject to tariffs. Now is the exact moment we'd like to get rid of those tariffs, and we'd like to assure that the supply chain can work. I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day who was having trouble with his computer, but the, the components to get his computer fixed are imported from China, and uh, the supplier can't get that to him. We should work hard to uh, get those supply chains working again. It's that there are American jobs that depend on those, and that's something that our government could be doing now. Is there any conceivable way that the U.S. can avoid a recession at this time? Uh, a miracle. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's a succinct answer to the question. So, so let me say something about that, because there's some kind of confusion about exactly what a recession is. A recession has to be a prolonged period, and the rule of thumb uh, is that it be 
uh, two quarters, that is uh, about six months long, of negative growth. And uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research has this cycle dating committee who put precise dates on this. Okay, we have had two weeks, Jim, of startlingly negative growth. If we had a miracle, a, uh, a safe vaccine available in, uh, in broad supply next week, we would not be, in retrospect, judged to be in a recession because we would have had three or four weeks, not six months of economic downturn. So recession has a certain meaning. There's a committee that decides what it is. So it's not precise, but it is a sustained period of negative growth. Two weeks is not a sustained period. However, I agree with the economic analysts who say, except I always put in the caveat, short of a miracle, and I define for you precisely what I think a miracle would be, we're in a recession now. It's going to be then uh, six months, economists are going to look back and say, yes, this was at the beginning of one of the sharpest recessions that the United States has ever had. Consumer spending is the engine that drives the U.S. economy, with many people losing their jobs, closing their businesses, and watching their investments lose value. Their propensity to spend money, particularly on discretionary items, is likely to decline even after the immediate coronavirus threat subsides. While cutting back on spending for non-essential goods and services may be the prudent thing for individuals and businesses to do, doesn't that reaction create a ripple effect that will actually cause greater harm to the economy? Well, the conventional answer to your question would be right. But I want you to remember, this is not like the standard economic downturn. This is one caused by people not wanting to get together, or the government encouraging people not to get together, so we don't get uh, spreads of the coronavirus, and particularly an uh, increase in the spread so fast that the medical system is overwhelmed. So actually the prudent government policy would be to discourage all kinds of economic activity, something that we never want to do during episodes like the 2008-2009 uh, recession. We want to encourage economic activity. Economic activity that means that people meet kind of intensely in large groups or lots of one-on-one -on -one meetings without having testing and, uh, and, and monitoring and tracing contacts of the kind that they've used successfully in, uh, in some countries like uh, Japan, Korea, and Singapore to get the uh, coronavirus under control. Right now, we're not providing enough testing. We have to be able to do something like that. Until that's ready, we have to discourage economic some kind of economic activity, because we don't want to end up like Spain or uh, Italy, where doctors are just saying things in hospitals that, uh, oof, uh, we don't have enough respirators to go around. Anybody over the age of 70 doesn't get a respirator. 
Uh, in the United States, we don't want to do that, although Governor Andrew Cuomo is worrying that uh, that might be the situation that New York is in in, uh, in another week or two. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe, the distinguished McKnight professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. The opinions and perspectives that Professor Kehoe is sharing with us do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank or the Federal Reserve System. Uncertainty is the greatest enemy of financial markets. Is there anything that government officials can do that they are not already doing to mitigate that uncertainty? Well, I think the package that came out today was, uh, given political constraints, was about the best we're going to get. If I knew when we're going to have medications or or vaccines, that's going to really help us uh, get the coronavirus under control, that would be the kind of uh, reduction in uncertainty that would really help in our planning. But, you know, Jim, we don't have that. When we look back at the uh, only episode, and it's not in living memory anymore, but my grandparents told me about it, the uh, 1918-1919, uh, they called it the Spanish uh, influenza pandemic, we don't get much of a good feel. I was looking at the numbers, you know, something like uh, 20 to 25 percent of the U.S. population got that, the Spanish flu, as they called it, although it almost certainly came from Britain or the United States. But because of wartime, this was the end of the First World War, because of uh, wartime censorship, in the United States and uh, Britain, they couldn't really report on the number of cases, so that Spain was the place where the news was coming from. But uh, we had massive amounts of people get the flu, the medical system, uh, and medicine at that time wasn't as efficient, but kind of collapsed. And uh, we had about 700,000 deaths in the United States, and that was with a lot smaller population at that time in the United States, but it was really like one quarter of Americans got the flu, lots of them died, and then all of a sudden the virus mutated, and it became less uh, less extreme, so that uh, by the beginning of uh, 1920, that was disappearing. That's not going to happen here. From what I understand from the uh, reports of medical research that I've read, is that the coronavirus is very stable, so it's not going to mutate that quickly. But there's a good sign to that. The medical uh, scientists say that a stable virus like this is one that it's possible to develop very dependable and long-lasting vaccines against. So, you know, unfortunately, there's lots of uncertainty out there. And uh, if I could do anything to reduce it, I would. Uh, I think the government should uh, try to do what it can. I think that's what it's doing today. And uh, the rest, well, you know, we're cursed to live in exciting times. The state of Minnesota has a significant budget surplus. Is it time to save much of that surplus for tougher times that might lie ahead, or should those funds be dispersed now to meet more immediate needs? I think those funds should be dispersed over the next year. I think that uh, it's really hard.
and I really don't want to try to imagine worse times than these, and I don't even want to imagine worse times than these. I think this is about as bad as it gets economically. How do you think the current crisis will impact Minnesota Fortune 500 companies such as Target and Best Buy? It might speed up the decline of uh, commercial establishments, that, you know, retailers, uh, uh, distributors uh, like them that rely on brick-and-mortar stores. Certainly right now, a lot of grocery stores, chains are booming, uh, even though they don't allow uh, the customers into the stores sometimes because they're doing uh, distribution and delivery. And I think that that is the way uh, the Target Best Buy are going to keep going, is that they move, uh, they move more in that direction. I think that's inevitable. At least, as I've mentioned, short of a, a miracle, uh, at least over the next year or so, Are you optimistic that the measures that have already been taken by the Federal Reserve and now Congress through the $2 trillion stimulus package will help mitigate the economic damage caused by the coronavirus crisis? Jim, those measures will certainly mitigate. So I am confident uh, that they will lessen the, uh, the impact. Whether they're enough, I can't say. As you have uh, mentioned, the big problem right now is uncertainty. And so I can't really say if they're going to be enough. Are there any bright spots in the economy right now? For example, we know that grocery stores and retailers that offer essential goods are experiencing brisk sales and are even hiring more employees. Uh, Yes. You know, this month is going to be bad. March is going to be uh, bad. It's going to be so bad that I think they will have, in retrospect, judged the recession, the kind of severe recession that uh, we're going to be in, as having started in the first quarter of uh, 2020, specifically in in March. April's going to be worse, Jim. My prediction is that uh, April's going to be worse. But some sectors of the economy, and you just mentioned them, people who can do home deliveries, people who can provide services that minimize direct contact with other people who may or may not be infected until we have enough testing to know who's been uh, infected and who hasn't. Uh, Certainly the the medical supply sector should be booming. Uh, Pharmaceuticals should be booming. And and, and we have to encourage activity uh, in that direction. As you know, I'm a great lover of restaurants, restaurants all over the world, but restaurants here in in Minneapolis. I don't see those as booming um, again until we have this under control, which I picture as being about a year from now. One of the many missteps that accelerated the financial crisis known as the Great Depression was the imposition of tariffs. The Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act of 1930 was designed to protect American businesses and farmers by increasing import duties, but in reality, it aggravated the worldwide economic crisis. Are you hopeful that the U.S. and other countries will avoid imposing any additional tariffs on imported goods, and is it time to scale back tariffs that may already be in place? Uh, I think now is a perfect time 
to uh, end our tariff war against China, end the threat of uh, tariff wars against the European Union. Now is not the time to be engaged in that kind of warfare. We've already talked about 1918, 1919, uh, Spanish uh, influenza pandemic. That was at the end of the First World War. You know, during the, the First World War, we saw something of order of magnitude, 15 million deaths because of the war. Well, the, the pandemic itself caused, and the estimates vary widely, but the one that seems kind of a middle one and the most believable is 50 million people died from the Spanish influenza. So it goes to show that the First World War, which was the worst war in history, was not very significant compared to the Spanish influenza. I think we're going to think the stakes in keeping up tariff wars against China or threatening the European Union with tariff wars are so small compared to the death, hardship, uh, economic downturn caused by coronavirus, we should just get that off the table and focus on what's important. Professor Kehoe, you alluded to this a bit earlier in our discussion, and as we struggle to find the proverbial silver lining, if there is one, to this current crisis, do you think this could be a time of great innovation? We're seeing a lot of people now confined to their homes, but they're still able to stay in touch with their employer because of technology that would not have existed 30 years ago. We're seeing uh, changes in the way, for example, education is delivered. It's online now for colleges, universities, and um, elementary and secondary students. Do you think we may see out of this perhaps a fundamental change in our concept of work, and perhaps uh, we'll see some innovation, more creative ways of uh, leveraging technology to make our working lives more efficient. Well, Jim, that is the hope. And when I talk to my economist friends, that's something we discuss and uh, we see hope for. You know, the thing is, is the, a lot of uh, travel around the world Of course, some is for vacation and to see friends and so forth, but a lot is for business meetings. Well, you see, it's not just me teaching my class or conducting a workshop uh, with students who are uh, also kind of locked down, and we use, uh, even though they're in the same town, but we use uh, computer technology, but mostly Zoom, as I mentioned, the company that uh, provides the most popular one, but wow, we could do this across countries. Uh, Firms could do this to do more meetings online. And that would be efficient. It would be energy-saving. It would be money, time-saving. And it might really increase productivity. Um, And so we're being forced to do that. There was already a bit of a trend in that direction, but this is going to speed that up a lot. So in times this dire... You have to try to look for uh, some kind of silver lining, and I think that is going to be one. And and, and we'll get um, quality food delivery, and we'll get that there's all kinds of things that might come out of this. 
Do you see a potential, I guess, restructuring of the restaurant industry, maybe repurposing a product they already have, but perhaps less emphasis on the uh, the actual restaurant part of it that requires people to come to a particular location, and more emphasis on distributing their product uh, by delivery? Let's put it this way, Jim. If restaurants are going to be up and going in, uh, in four or five months, as I hope the economy is, uh, they're going to have to be doing things like that. And so the restaurants who can get on top of that uh, are going to be the most successful. But then it's going to also become a, a matter of quality, and people are going to want uh, good quality and confidence in the product. And uh, I can really see there being some room for innovation doing that. That uh, I, I'm going to still want to go into a restaurant and talk to the waiters and the chef. I enjoy doing that. But I can certainly see that there's products that uh, we could get that are inexpensive, pleasant to uh, consume, and give higher productivity. Timothy Kehoe is the Distinguished McKnight University Professor in the Department of Economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. The opinions and perspectives that Professor Kehoe shared with us do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank or the Federal Reserve System. Professor Kehoe, always a pleasure to have you on Dialogue Minnesota. Well, thank you very much, Jim, and it was uh, pleasant for me to discuss this with you, even though the issues we're talking about are a bit frightening. Next week on Dialogue Minnesota, a look at what the loss of professional and collegiate sports means to fans and how it impacts our sense of community in a time of national crisis. I'm Jim Dubois. Thanks for listening. See you next week.